Alrighty. For those who are unaware, we have been doing one New Testament book of the Bible every Sunday for the last three Sundays. And we've done Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And tonight is the book of John. So, if you want to hear this, you probably need to find your seats. So we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is written for us to see. But more than that, it is alive by your spirit to help us to spiritually see. And I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and the summary of this book, which is a magnificent book that you've given to us as believers and as disciples to encourage us and to inspire faith in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as I speak this word tonight, you would breathe your life upon it. And Holy Spirit, you would bring revelation to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, first slide tonight, obviously, my topic is the Gospel of John. And the title or the summary point of the Gospel of John is the Son of God. So I'm going to quickly give you a recap who wrote the book. Uh, Firstly, in John 21, verse 20 to 24, describes the author of the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And for both historical and internal reasons, this is understood to be John the Apostle, one of the sons of Zebedee. And this description uh, likely pointed to John for three reasons. And it's important to know these things. One, the author had to be one of the 12 disciples because in John 21 verse 24, it said that he was an eyewitness of the events in the gospel. To be an eyewitness, evidently he had to be one of the apostles. Two, he was one of the inner circle of three disciples, James, John and Peter, because he was among the first that Mary told of the resurrection in John chapter 20. And thirdly, the disciple is distinguished from Peter in the book while James died soon after the resurrection So John obviously is therefore the author. There's a few other thoughts on that authorship, but generally that is the most uh, agreed uh, perspective. The date of the writing uh, would be approximately around AD 85 to 90. Uh, We actually get this as we study it out because there are some uh, papyrus manuscripts that were discovered in AD 135. uh, And that required that the Gospel of John must have already been written must have already been copied and must have already been passed on to and circulated to the disciples. Uh, Some people think it was uh, written before Jerusalem Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, but the most popular time frame was AD 85 to 90. So who was it written to? Um, The Gospel of John is a really, really interesting book. When you begin to study it out and you read through the commentaries and the manuscripts about the Gospel of John, it wasn't just written to a set audience for the purpose of presenting to an audience. There was a reason, sorry, that didn't make sense. What I mean by that is there was a problem with the church. And so the Gospel of John was the fourth Gospel written. It was after the other three, but he wrote it specifically to the church in Ephesus or the believers in Ephesus for a reason. So Polycarp, Polycarp, imagine having a name called Polycarp. I mean, seriously, what was the mother thinking? Anyway, 
I can, the only thing, Polly Pipe, maybe Polly. Yeah, anyway, a second century Christian who was a martyr knew John personally. He had told another disciple of John, Irenaeus, that he had written the book to help believers during the apostles' time serving the church in Ephesus. So unlike the other three synoptic gospels, John's purpose is not to present a chronological narrative of the life of Christ, but to display the divine nature or the divine status of who Jesus actually was. John's purpose was to strengthen the faith of second generation believers and bring about faith in others who had not yet heard the gospel message. But he also sought to correct a false teaching that was spreading in the first century. I didn't actually realise this at the time when I began to go through all the commentary on this. John emphasised Jesus Christ as the Son of God, fully God and fully man, contrary to a false doctrine that had been taught that the, the Christ Spirit came upon the human Jesus at His baptism and left Him at the crucifixion. Now, the reason this was so important, particularly with a false doctrinal perspective of this, was it was still dealing with Jewish believers and Gentile believers who had come to know Christ as Messiah. This teaching had then come through. And of course, it's an Old Testament perspective. Uh, we think of Samson, people like Samson, where the Holy Spirit would come upon or the Christ Spirit would come upon him for a task and a reason. He would deal with what he had to do. And then that Christ Spirit would then leave him for another time. So we see it's an Old Testament perspective. And so John was writing about the, the supremacy of Christ as God for the reason to help the second generation believers realize that he was God, he was there and he would not leave them like an Old Testament process. Does it make sense? Can I get the second slide please, don't I? While the other three gospels portray Jesus as the Messiah, the servant and the son of man, John portrays Jesus as the son of God. Obviously, uh, the audiences for these were really, really important. We looked at Matthew. Uh, Matthew had presented Jesus as the Messiah because that book was written to the Jews and the Jews were looking for their Messiah. The book of Mark was written uh, to a bunch of Romans who, who were trying to overthrow the rest of the world by subduing it. And Jesus came and he was betrayed as the servant king. Luke was written uh, to a Gentile audience as well. And he was described as the son of man so beautifully put uh, by Rob last week. And again, if you haven't heard last week's message on Luke, go on to our podcast, check it out. Uh, again, just a really great message presented by Rob. And so the Gentile audience was looking at the perfection of man and, and what that looked like through the process. And so they began to present Jesus as the perfect man. John's gospel presents Jesus then as the son of God. God stated his theme more clearly uh, sorry, John stated his theme more clearly than any of the other gospel writers. To accomplish that goal, John presents a riveting and distinctive picture of Jesus Christ. One, in complete unity with the rest of the gospels that are presented. But secondly, with a very, very clear and significant revelation that Jesus was God. Now, none of the other gospels present this so succinctly as what the gospel of John does. We see Jesus as the Word of God, which has already been spoken about today in communion. I can't, can't believe how much of this message was already spoken through pre-service, prayer, communion, everything else. 
But he was called the Word of God, the Son of God. He was called God Himself. He was a great miracle worker. He was an omniscient or all-knowing teacher. He was a compassionate provider and he was a faithful friend. Now, John may be the final gospel, but this narrative begins far, far earlier than the other three gospels. While Mark begins with Jesus' adult ministry and Matthew and Luke begin with a physical birth and the genealogy of Christ, John opens with the beginning of all creation. Very, very different. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. See, there was a deliberate counter to the false doctrine that was being taught. Can you see the context of that? With the false doctrine that the Christ Spirit came upon Jesus at the baptism and left Him on the cross, we see the importance of why John had to start that in the beginning, the Word was God, the Word was with God, that Jesus was the Word. So that brings him right back to the deity of Christ right at the beginning of his whole presentation to the early church. Make sense? Unlike Luke, John does not aim to chronicle the whole life of Christ. In fact, I love this part of John. John doesn't think the world could contain all the books for such a document. I love, now Now, look, I don't know how literal that is but I love the poetic license that he has that I've given you seven deliberate signs through this gospel presentation but there are so many miracle signs and wonders that Jesus did that the whole world can't contain the books I don't know about you but I want to live today in a revelation of that Jesus I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know what situation you're going through at the moment, but I love the fact that John challenges us to live this life of a Jesus that is so supernatural and so miraculous that all the books in the world can't fit. What a a great Jesus we serve. Once again, the literal understanding that His supremacy is far greater than the natural. Instead, John presents a few signs and teachings that should compel us for what? to believe in Jesus as God. The emphasis on the deity or the divine status of Christ is a striking quality of John's gospel. It also comes through clearly elsewhere in the book, particularly in John 8, 58, when Jesus claimed the divine name from the Old Testament of I am. Now, begin to study this out and you'll have to excuse me because I'm going to read a whole bunch of notes here, but um, I couldn't quite remember them all. So I had to write them all down. Sometimes what we do is we read a book and we go, oh, that's cool, but we don't understand the context of it. And so the context in this is vitally important for the rest of the book of John. So Jesus calls himself, I am, which led, can anyone remember what it led to? An angry mob wanting to destroy him and kill him for blasphemy. So we understand the importance of the name and the importance of why Jesus used that name In this gospel, we see John presenting Christ as saying, I am God. Okay? We know that because the mob wanted to kill him for blasphemy. Slide three. So let's go through some of this. This is what Jesus said. Again, some of this has already been said tonight. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Now, all of those look fantastic, don't they? Great. Has anyone ever studied them in the context of their connection with the Old Testament? Most people haven't. So let me quickly give you an overview. You can keep those up there, Damo, so you can follow along with me. Um, 
We saw one of those connections through Adam's communion uh, today, but I just want to run through these seven because they're really, really contextually important for the book of John. Now you've got to realise, keep in the back of your mind, the book of John is about convincing the second generation believers that Jesus was God in the flesh, come to planet earth to save mankind. All right, he wasn't just another man. Here's the connection. The Gospel of John portrays Jesus as the God of the Old Testament. Now that's really important when you're dealing with Jewish believers. They had to go right back and show them that Jesus was greater than Moses and greater than Abraham. Seven I am statements. He is the bread of life. And this bread was provided by God to feed the souls of His people, just as He provided manna from heaven to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. And so we see the correlation of the physical bread now becoming what Adam talked about in communion, the spiritual bread that feeds our spirit. Jesus is the light of the world. The same light that God promised to His people in the Old Testament in Isaiah 30 and 60, and which will find its culmination in the New Jerusalem where Christ the Lamb will be the light found in Revelation 21. And so we see this contextual process of where Jesus is declaring that I am the light of the world. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Two of the I am statements refer to Jesus as both the good shepherd and the door of the sheep. And here are the clear references to Jesus as the God of the Old Testament, the shepherd of Israel in Psalm 23, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34, and as the only door into the sheepfold, in other words, the only way of salvation. Can you see the significance of why he was correlating back to these statements to the Old Testament? Then he goes on and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The Jews believed in the resurrection. And in fact, they used that doctrine to try and trick Jesus into making statements they could use against him. But his statement at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life, must have astounded them. He was claiming to be the cause of resurrection and in possession of the power of life and death. Excuse me. Glad I bought that coffee. The power of life and death. Um, Where was I? Don't you love that when you lose your way? None other than God himself could claim such a thing. Similarly, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth and the life, linked him unmistakably to the Old Testament. He is the way of holiness prophesied in Isaiah 35. He established the city of truth in Zechariah 8. And when he was in Jerusalem and preached the truths of the gospel as the life, Jesus affirms his deity or his supremacy, the creator of life, the God incarnate in Genesis 2. And finally, as the true vine, Jesus identifies himself with the nation of Israel who are called the vineyard of the Lord in many Old Testament passages. And as the true vine of the vineyard of Israel, he portrays himself as the Lord of the true Israel, all those who would come to him in faith in Romans chapter 9. Now, I've thrown all that out there simply because on the podcast, you can reference those if you want to. I don't have time. Every one of those is a sermon in itself, as you can well imagine. This is actually really hard to condense, by the way. If you want to really practice doing this, then have a crack at one of these books. 
My point in saying, sorry, can I just have that slide back up again, Damon? My point in saying that is every single one of those statements that Jesus made was relevant to every person, every Jewish believer and every person who was to believe. Hey, baby, if you get my um, sermon illustrations, I forgot to get them for you. In your purse? Brilliant. Uh, I'll find them later. I, I don't go in your purse. It's an endless pit where I could disappear and no one would ever see me again for eternity. Every man says, Amen. All right. Thanks, sweetie. Um, next slide, please. So Jesus is presented then as the Son of God. He's presented with deity. Now, I love that the book of John is the only gospel that clearly states the whole book's intention. Read it with me. John 20, 21. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. What an incredible statement. I don't know about you, but the succinct nature of that statement just grabs something within my spirit. I mean, he cites the purpose of this gospel message so clearly. He writes all of these stories, testimonies of people who have encountered a relationship with Jesus and believed in Him. He writes seven miracles, which he calls signs. Sign points to something. He doesn't call them anything else. He calls them signs to point the way to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, so that if we believe in Him, we would experience life. I think that's a pretty clear statement. All those in favour said, aye. All right. The miraculous, uh, the miraculous signs that are recalled in John, uh, that are written, are purposed so that the reader would believe in Jesus and find life in His name. Therefore, much of John's material is directly stating who Jesus is, not just what He does. I could not believe the difference as I began to study out John and, and spend a lot more time just focusing on this whole process. And I, I just got really excited because all of a sudden there's a, a freshness within my spirit because I began to realise, man, so many times, it, it was stated, I think, at either prayer here or pre-service prayer. There are things that we face in life that cause us to be stretched that our faith needs to be activated in. This is one of those books that if you are lacking faith, if you are lacking strength in your Christian walk, if you are lacking belief or trust in or reliance on or, or you're struggling to, to actually be convinced or have confidence in the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, read the book of John. Why? Because as Adam said, the Word becomes flesh. The Word dwells within us and becomes who we are. I don't know about you, but I need to have faith in the name of Jesus. There are moments where I feel weak in my faith. And if I don't spend time in God's Word, what am I meditating on? Maybe I'm meditating on a doctor's report. Maybe I'm meditating on symptoms. Do you know what? Yesterday, I had a flu coming on. I could feel it. I can still feel it now. But you know what? How can I preach this and not stand up here and preach with conviction that this was taken care of on the cross of Calvary and I will not submit to it. I will continue to fight. Why? Because I'm an overcomer. I'm more than an overcomer. Why? Through Christ, the one that we're talking about right now. Not through me, not through my own strength, not through my mind, not through, not through medical marvel, but simply a trust in, a reliance on and a confidence in the name of Jesus. Can I have slide five, please? 
Now, we started to talk about some of the, the things that, that Rob touched on last week. He came to reveal God to man. This is part of the whole process of what uh, John's gospel begins to look at. Now, once again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Tea time goes quick, doesn't it? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. What we need to realise is the incarnation. God becoming man unites earth to heaven. I love the fact that Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, there's our destination, there's our source. We're ambassadors of Christ, we're ambassadors of the kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, dedicated, set apart, all powerful. There's that recognition of who He is. I love it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I love about Jesus is we begin to see what heaven looks like. I struggle to picture for a moment there's sickness in heaven. Would you agree? I struggle to picture that we would be overcome by fear in heaven. And yet I struggle with those things now. My purpose of intent in that is that the life of Jesus illustrates to us the life that we can now live here on earth as it is. In heaven. Now that doesn't mean that I'm attaining all of those things, but I am pressing on towards that high call, that high purpose all the time. Anyone here ever prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed? Can I see your hands? Put them up high, put them up high, hold them up, look around you. Welcome, strangers. My point is simply this, we're on a journey. We're all on a journey. But just because that prayer wasn't answered, are you content to sit back and say, well, I prayed once and God didn't do it, so, oh, well, I'll let Him go. I don't know about you, but I am compelled to contend for the Kingdom of Heaven. And I believe that God revealed Himself through the nature of Jesus Christ as the man who walked on the planet Earth to show us what sort of life we could live. I don't believe that I'm here just waiting to push up daisies so I can go to heaven and experience the fullness of life. I believe God came so that we could have life in all its fullness now and that we could experience those moments of eternity now as we continue this walk. Sorry, I'm missing my slide. It's gone again. There we go. Jesus became flesh that we might see and know God. So Jesus' identity is the divine Son of God sets him apart from any other man who ever lived. There is no other man who is sane, who is in their right mind, except those who might be smoking a little bit of stuff around the back of the corner, who's claimed that they are God and actually proven it. But Jesus came and declared that he was God and his lifestyle and his character proved it. He carries with him the supremacy that comes only with God Himself and therefore His work on our behalf makes our salvation sure. Now you've got to get this. The purpose of John's Gospel was that we would believe in Jesus, that what He's done and the work He's done is a finished salvation. It's complete. And if we don't see that, then we will live under what God has called us to live. Because He is God, His sacrifice on the cross has eternal implications. 
Unlike the limited effects of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, Jesus, the God-man, has dealt with our sins. Can I tell you now, Jesus has not just covered our sins. Don't be fooled by that lie. I love, Alice brought it up the other week in communion. He has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and they are no more. They're not covered over. Anything that's covered can be brought back to light. Anything that is destroyed is destroyed. The power of sin and death over us as Christians, as believers in Christ is destroyed. He's dealt with our sins. We can place our confidence in Him because of His divine nature. Can I have the next slide, please, don't I? He came to unite man to Himself. The incarnation, God becoming man, unites man to God. Here's what I love. Let's park on this just for a moment. In the Old Testament, God was distant. And He would speak infrequently to the prophets and the prophets would go to the people and He would speak on God's behalf. So God was there, but He was distant. There was no intimacy with that. Yet they would set up memorials and they would sing songs and they would dance and do all sorts of stuff. But can I tell you, their hearts were so easily set aside to worship golden calves and worship other gods because God was distant. And God said, I can do better than that. What we see in the Gospel of John is Jesus walking now, God walking amongst people. Picture with me for a moment. He's walking around and He's touching people. Do you know what? Every single time I read in the Scriptures where Jesus touched people, something supernatural and miraculous happened. People who were filled with shame and guilt and condemnation all of a sudden looked into the eyes of Jesus and saw that they were pure and made whole. I love that Jesus illustrates what God looks like walking amongst us. Why? Because that is now a reflection of your ministry and my ministry. Maybe you missed that. That was actually a baseball bat to the back of the head. Just if you missed that, okay? That ministry is now your ministry and my ministry. I am so, so in my face challenged by that statement. Am I living this life? Yes, I am. Am I living it to its fullest yet? No, I'm not. I've got so much more to learn. I've got so much more to push into with God and pull out of heaven so that we can see God do something supernatural in the lives of this community and beyond. That's what John's Gospel is all about. It's brilliant. I love it. Oh, my slide's gone again. Here it is. Show us who we are and who we may become. See, <laughs> just flick over the next slide. Let me try and illustrate this to you this, this way. I, I asked the question, why the Son of God? It seems like a weird title to me. Does anybody else think it's weird? Just me and a few others. All right, okay. Well, for those of us who think it's weird, we'll try and explain it to those who don't think it's weird. They've got, got a revelation already. But I couldn't quite understand it. But the sonship issue is the key here. It's an identifying mark for us to identify with, not Jesus to identify with. Jesus didn't need to identify with it because He was God. The Son of God became the Son of Man 
so that the sons of men, you and I, could become the sons of God, you and I. See, when Jesus dealt with sin, this was the reason why He wrote this to the believers. When He dealt with sin, there was an identity exchange that took place. So we no longer identify with that stuff. We identify with the newness in Christ. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. What an incredible moment for us. The Gospel of John makes a strong argument for Jesus as the exclusive Saviour and the only way to know God. Jesus said to him in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to read a couple of key scriptures. And for the sake of time, I won't give an explanation. I'll just read them because I want to get to the last page. I've done well. I'm on my fifth page out of six. <sighs> All right. John 1, 17 and 8, 58 declares that Jesus is greater than the Jewish heroes Moses and Abraham. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and John challenges us to believe Him. So in John 1.29, we read this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I only know one person who can take away the sin of the world. God. Fascinating. Think in the context of what we're talking about here. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6.29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent, Jesus. John 10.28, And I give you eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. Again, it's a God statement. John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is challenging them to their belief. And John 14, verse nine, last one. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father. So there's a purpose in John's delivery of Jesus being God. So the Gospel of John includes only seven miracles. John calls them signs to demonstrate the divine status of Christ, to illustrate His ministry. Some of these miracles are stories such as raising Lazarus from the dead. And they're only found in John. His is the most theological of the four Gospels. I'm just saying I got the most theological one. That's good. And he often gives the reason behind events mentioned in the other Gospels. The Gospel of John shares much about approaching ministry of the Holy Spirit and after Jesus' ascension. The last nine chapters of the Gospel of John, these are fast facts. Sorry, I should have made mention of that. The last nine chapters of the Gospel of John deal with the final week of Jesus' life. Jesus prepares His disciples for His coming death and for their ministry after His resurrection and ascension. Did you hear that? Their ministry after His death and resurrection. He then willingly dies on the cross in our place, paying our sin debt in full so that whoever trusts in Him will be saved. Jesus then rises from the dead, convincing even the most doubting of His disciples that He is God and Master. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to be there in that room when Jesus walks through a wall because the disciples are fearful for their lives. They've locked the doors. Jesus walks through and says, do not be afraid. <laughs> of 
course you wouldn't. Somebody just walked through a wall. <laughs> anyway, he says, hey, even to doubting Thomas, put your hand, uh, put your fingers in my nail marks in my hands, put your hand in my side. And his response is, my Lord and my God. It's a very, very convincing argument. Slide eight, please. I want to read this as a summary. Among the Gospels, John's is unique. Jesus' relationship to the Father and his teaching on the Holy Spirit are given special prominence. Ultimately, faith, believing in Jesus, is at the centre with signs highlighted to provoke faith and stories of those who responded to Jesus as examples of faith. That's the summary of John. So I want to illustrate tonight to you this incredible moment of a summary of John. I call the summary of John the Great Exchange. The God-man who demonstrated his divinity. The God-man who demonstrated his very nature of love to humanity. Took the brokenness of humanity, revealed himself for who he really was and said, I'm going to do something about this situation because I'm passionate and in love with humanity. I have in my hands a five cent piece. The lowest of our currency. The lowest of worth. Would anybody like this five cents? Deb, brilliant. Deb, I'm going to give you this five cents because you put your hand up. You're so good. Five cents, well done. Put that in the missions offering. It goes a lot further. All right. Five cents, the lowest currency. God looked down and, and saw us and he's gone, you know what? They see themselves as five cents. They see themselves as lowly and not worth it. They see themselves as, as a currency that they were never, ever created and intended to be. Why? Because sin had come in. Sin had broken the understanding of true value and worth that you and I are sons of God because of what Christ has done. And so God now sees us as this. It's a $100 note. Now the $100 note is the highest of our currency. Who wants that? All right. I thought that that would be the response. I really did. Why? Because we understand its value. We understand what it's worth. We understand the potential of what this could accomplish, what it can buy, what, the, the power of what is behind the value of this currency. What I want to explain to you simply is this. John's Gospel illustrates to us, again through the Scripture in chapter 20, that these are written that you would believe in the Christ so that you would have life in His name. Can I tell you, our life starts when we begin to realise what the value is that is placed on us. See, we were born in the very image of God, created in the image of God. We, the Bible says we were knit together in our mother's womb. 
So our value, our intrinsic value was given to us way before we ever told our first little white lie. Our intrinsic value was given to us way before somebody ever told us we were not good at something or that we could never accomplish anything or that we'd never amount to anything. Our value intrinsically was given by God because He created us in His image. So let me go back one moment. If the life of Jesus, God revealed in humanity, is the way we are called to live, do we see our lives with the highest currency that we can see it. Because that will reflect the way we live. I want to encourage you as a church. Maybe I should give this away. My wife will kill me. It's all right, she's generous. There you go, Nathan. You're a visiting pastor from South Africa. And uh, I want to bless you and sow in your ministry because I believe you're going to see a multitude of souls that come as you preach the gospel. I want to finish with this. Last slide. Do you believe? It's one thing to hear this stuff. It's another thing to read it. It's another thing to believe it. Do you trust in Jesus? Do we rely on Jesus? Do we have confidence that Jesus is who he said he was? Because that will change the way we live. That will change the value currency that we see ourselves in. And that's the summary of John. Crazy, isn't it? So let me finish with this. I'm going to call the musicians up, please. We're going to sing the first song because I think this first song actually is an illustration of the summary of the book of John. This is amazing grace. So I want to ask you a question as the musicians come up. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that He is God? Do you believe that He is who He says He is? And if you don't, I want to challenge you tonight to believe. Sorry, Kat. Maybe you've never stopped and thought about it. Maybe you've never stopped and said, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I know there's something more to what I'm experiencing. Maybe you've never learned what it is to trust in, rely on and have confidence in somebody else because people will let you down. Can I tell you, Jesus will never let you down. He's the one who sticks closer than a brother. Am I saying that your life's going to be a bed of roses the moment you ask Him into your life? Not at all. What I am saying is this, He'll be your strength through the hard times. He'll be your strength through the storms of life. He'll be the one who leads you and guides you into green pastures that even when the storms are done, He'll take you into a place of rest. Do you believe? that Jesus is the Christ. The one who gave us seven signs deliberately to prove that he was God. If that's you tonight and you want to make that decision, we're going to sing this song. While we sing this song, I want you to come up the front. I want to talk with you. There's a few more things I want to share with you about what it looks like to walk with God. Apart from that, if you want prayer, maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you've been challenged by the book of John and you've gone, you know what? I need a Lazarus experience. I need something that's supernatural. Justin, we want to pray for your back before you go. I want you to come up the front as well. We want to pray. We want to release the presence of the Holy Spirit to heal. Why? Because we believe in Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. 
I pray right now as this congregation stands to their feet, as we sing this song, this is amazing grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would move upon us afresh, move in our hearts, move in our minds. Father, move upon our flesh, Father, that we would see the fullness of this salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.